The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Good morning. We are going to continue in our God is Great series as we look about how God is great through His promises. I'm really excited this morning. Uh, Like Blair said, my name is Will Mitchell. We have been coming to redemption for over four years now, and God has done incredible things in my family's life through the life of this church. It's been amazing to watch. Our faith has grown immensely. Our community has grown immensely. God has done great things. My wife is named Melissa. She's over in kids during this this, uh, service. And I have two boys. Tripp, he's five years old. Jake is two years old. Melissa and I get to lead one of the small groups we meet on Wednesday nights, and those people are incredible blessings to us. They sharpen us. They push us. They don't let me settle. They love me so much that they won't let me stay where I'm at. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to raise your hand. We're going to be in Genesis. Uh, One of the ushers can get you a Bible. Uh, Stick your hand up. They'll get it to you. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever broken a promise? Yes, I have too. Don't worry. Have you ever, have you bought anything this year that had to be custom made? Supply chain's getting tight. It's getting tight. It is tight. Labor's short. There is not a industry that is not affected. They are not able to promise the delivery dates. Everybody's missing it. We're talking about windows, airlines, furniture, bikes, appliances. I had a friend that that is building a custom home, and it's scheduled to be done in December after a few delays. Um, And they ordered furniture for their new house. They ordered it earlier this year, and the original delivery date was October. That was fine with them. They got to store it for a little bit. They just got a call about two weeks ago, and their new delivery date on their furniture is April 2022. It's crazy. They don't know what they're going to do, and that broke, they lead to anger, and they lead to disappointment. Why can, pe- why can people just not do what, or can, why can't they do what they say they're going to do? I feel my blood pressure rising a little bit. Just thinking about that, right? Don't promise something you can't commit to. But then I think about myself, and I've broken lots of promises. As I say that statement, I hear my boys in the back of my head saying, but Dad, you promised. And if I'm really honest, that line of broken promises is longer than I care to admit. But the Lord's different his promises always. There's something very simple that we're going to learn and really a reminder today. God's promises can be trusted. God is the only one that can guarantee his promises. He is the only one with enough character to guarantee his promises. He's the only one that is in control always. Now, God's promises can be trusted isn't this revolutionary statement. I didn't just blow your minds and teach you something for the first time. But we need that reminder 
beat it often because we're forgetful people. I'm really excited about what the Lord promises in this passage. We're going to be in Genesis 15. We're going to start in verse 6. This is arguably the first time in the Bible that we see that a substitute's going to die for our sins. Now, I'm not taking away from Genesis 3 that Blair did a great job preaching on last week. There's no doubt that points to Jesus and points to the ultimate fulfillment of crushing Satan and God's glory. But in this time, in the ceremony that's going to happen in this passage, they would have known right then that there's going to be a substitutionary death. I think that's the first time it's clear in the moment that that's going to happen. We'll get into that uh, in a little bit. You see it throughout the passage. God's promises can be trusted. Amidst the chaos, amidst the pain, amidst the suffering, amidst even our joys, God's promises can be trusted. What are some of those promises? What has God promised us? There's lots of them through the Bible. I encourage y'all to dig in this week on the promises of God. What has he promised that he's already fulfilled? What has he promised that is yet to be fulfilled? What has he promised you individually? To give you an idea of some of these promises, I want to point back to a sermon series that Blair preached on previously called The Rock Solid Promises of God. There's a few of them on the screen, but I want to give you some ideas of the things God promises us. The first is wisdom when ignorant in James 1. The second is peace when we're anxious in Philippians 4. The third is escape when tempted from 1 Corinthians 10. And then his presence wherever we are. And then love forevermore in Romans 8. See, we know it in our heads that God's promises can be true. We see it in God's word over and over again. We talk about it with our friends, with our small groups, with our community. Yet there's times in my life I know I doubt that. I know that because my head says it's true, but my actions and my priorities don't line up with that truth. Today, I hope the Lord reminds you of his faithfulness. I hope that he reminds you that he can be trusted always. We're going to open up the Bible. And at this point in the story, Abram has been promised offspring. Earlier in chapter 15, the the Lord tells Abram to look up in the sky and count the stars, if he even can. And that's how many his offspring are going to be. Yet Abram has no children. He's getting older and older, but he still believes the Lord. And that's where we're going to pick up today, starting in verse 6. Let's read it together. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I will possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, 
you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites. Dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. You see in verse 6 that Abram believes God. In verse 7, he promises him land, right? And then we're going to get into verse 8. And Abram responds, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? I'm going to put myself in Abram's shoes for a second. Abram had been promised offspring, and this isn't just in chapter 15, it was earlier. He's been promised it before. Over 10 years ago, 10 years of wandering, he's been promised offspring, he doesn't have a son. How am I supposed to have offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky if I don't even have a son? I'm getting old. And I really mean old. Romans 4, which we'll talk about, says 100 years. So this brings me to my first point. When we are promised something from the Lord, we should seek to understand. Yes, faith is important, and faith is going to move us to action, but it doesn't stop there. We have a responsibility and an obligation to dig deeper. You see, Abram's question here in verse 8 not a question of doubt. We know that. His faith was counted to him as righteousness, and he believed the Lord, right? No, he's saying, God, show me how you're going to do this. I want to know about your plan. Tell me it. He is seeking to understand what the Lord has promised him. I think of this like my relationship with Melissa. I remember 11 years ago, sitting on the front porch of where I was living at the time, and we would talk on the phone. Conversation was easy. We'd talk for hours. Time would fly by. And let me tell you, I hate the phone. Hate it. But it was so easy to talk to her. I had so much to get to know, so much to learn about her. I had easy questions. They just kept coming to mind. Tell me about this. Tell me about this. What do you like to do? What do you not like to do? It was easy. I had so much to learn and understand about her. Now we've been married for nine and a half years. I'm not saying that I know her fully. Please don't get that because I don't. And that shows up quite often. But I do know her better. But I can't stop there and say, oh, that's good enough. I know her well enough. No, I have to get to know her more. I have to keep growing in my relationship with her. And honestly, it's harder now. The conversations aren't as easy. The questions don't come as quickly had 10 or 11 years of talking about the surface level stuff, right? Our conversations are deeper now. We've gone through hard things. We're talking about hard things. And there's two screaming boys in the background. But that doesn't, well, let me rephrase that, that shouldn't stop us. The more time we spend together, the more time we talk together, the more we understand each other, the more we get to know each other, and that's a lifetime of learning the same with our walk with Christ in an even greater way though, right? 
The Bible says in Deuteronomy, and Jesus reiterates it as the greatest commandment, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your mind? Dedicating our minds to knowing him, it means we're not afraid to ask questions about the work that we're going to do or the work we're doing. There's not a question that shouldn't be asked. If you read your Bible or hear a sermon and you just say, oh, that was great, I think you're missing it. Dig deeper. Wrestle with Scripture. Man, there's all sorts of hard, difficult things. Context is weird. Wording is weird. Man, that, that just doesn't sit right. Dig with it. Learn about the Lord. Wrestle with that scripture. Don't settle. Loving the Lord your God by seeking to understand. Use your small groups. You use your elders. You use commentary, study Bibles, podcasts, whatever it is. Yes, we're looking at it a lens through a lens saying, does this line up with truth of the gospel? But we're trying to learn more about the Lord. Whatever tools you can. And we need each other to do that too. We need a body of believers. We need people that know the Bible, people that point you to the Bible, people that don't let you stay where you're at. And they're pushing you. Follow me as I follow Christ. And if maybe you're not going to follow me, I'm going to give you a kick in the rear end to get you going. People that encourage your need to understand and help you take it to the next level. Don't stay where you're at. Surround yourself with people that are going to push you and push you to understand more about the Lord because we've got to seek to understand. At the same time, when we look in the passage, we see something else. We see that God's promises are fulfilled in his timing and plan, not ours. God in verses 13 and 16 maps out his plan for Abram. And so just a high level, your offspring are going to go live in a foreign land and they are going to be slaves for 400 years. Makes me scratch my head a little bit, right? Thanks for this promise, God. <laughs> what are you mapping out for me? That's not the route I want to go, and that's definitely not the timing I want. Why are you delaying already with this 10 years of wandering? Why are they going to spend 400 years as slaves in a land that's not the land that you just told me that I was going to possess? Are you really going to keep your promise? Of course he is. But it's not going to happen the way or when we think it should. How many times in your life does timing work out the way you want it to? Maybe never. Maybe you get those, those times where it lines up and that's, oh Lord, thank you for that blessing. <laughs> but most of the time it doesn't. I think of my family again. I think of parenting, right? you've been a parent or if you've been a kid, you've been promised something or you promised your kids something and they want it right then. But that's not the plan. You're going to get that later. It reminds me of uh, a couple weeks ago with my son Jake. He's two. Uh, we were sitting eating breakfast in the morning and uh, it came up and they asked, what are we going to have for night snack? Night snack is dessert. Um, they just call it night snack. And sometimes it happens like right before bed. But... We're working on that. Uh, and we told them they were going to have popsicles for night snack, and they got super excited. Um, and Jake looked at me, and he goes, Dad, where's my popsicle? 
I was like, not now, son. It's 7.30 in the morning. We're not going to have popsicles right now. And he just started bawling, lost it. He did get a popsicle that night. It did all work out. It just didn't happen when he wanted it to. And how many times do things not go according to your plan? I can't count the number of times I've said to somebody or said in my, hand, in my head, nothing is going right right now. Nothing can go my way. Things not going according to plan reminds me of an iconic A&M football moment. Yes, if Blair can work in the Green Bay Packers, I got to throw A&M in there somewhere. So, uh. No, it brings to mind Johnny Manziel against a- Alabama. If you know college football at all, you probably can think of the play. They show it every Alabama A&M game. Uh, you can probably hear the announcer saying, they got him. No, they didn't. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, Manziel had dropped back to pass, and he ran forward, and he fumbled it up into the air. He caught it. He ran backwards and then threw to a wide-open receiver for a touchdown. They got a touchdown. They got what they wanted. I can guarantee you there's no way a coach in their right mind would draw up this play. Nobody would come into a coach's meeting and say, hey, guys, I got a great idea. We're going to run forward. We're going to purposefully fumble it. It's going to throw everybody off, and we're going to have a wide-open receiver. It's going to work every time. It's not going to happen. But they still got the desired result, right? Just didn't happen the way they thought it would. God acts in an even greater way. Look back at the passage. Do you think there's any way that Abram wants his descendants to live this way? But we get hindsight. We get to look back and see what God did. We get to see how God used it for his glory and their good. We get to see how God saves his people from a famine through going to Egypt. We see God's miracles, his wrath, and his provision of of protection over his people through the plagues, ending with the Passover, the blood of the lamb protecting his people. And then we get to see God reshape their identities in the Exodus from being slaves to the people of God. You see, unlike us, God always keeps his promises. They just happen in his perfect timing and his perfect plan. What do we do during that? I'm going to blow your mind again. We wait. But it's not just waiting and sitting back. No, we hold on to hope. And I'm not talking about a hope like me saying, I hope the Aggies win the national championship before I die. No, it's waiting with an expectation. It is waiting with a confidence that you know the Lord will do what he said he will do. He's not just trying to see how long you can wait. I picture this like my son Tripp waiting for his grandma Sugar to come to our house. He becomes expectant of it. We tell him it's coming. And he's asking, when's Sugar coming? When's Sugar coming? When's Sugar coming? Three days, dude. Two days. It's okay. Two days. Uh, And then it's the day that she's coming. And he's watching and he's listening for her. He hears the car door slam and he gets really excited and he runs to the door. He used to wait inside. Now he's old enough. He just opens the door and runs outside and greets her. 
but he's expecting and confident. He knows sugar's coming and he can't wait for her to get there. That's the picture of the way we need to wait. With that confident assurance, knowing the Lord is going to do what he has said he's going to do. And it comes true. We see it here in the passage. What is going to be the end result? At the end of verse 18, through the end of the passage, through verse 20, we see that they are going to get their land and they're going to get it from their enemies. This happens in King Solomon's time. God's promises are fulfilled in his timing and in his plan, not ours. We dig more into the passage, we're going to see a making of the covenant. This comes from, that, that wording comes from verse 18, where it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That word made a covenant comes from the Hebrew word brit, which means to cut a covenant. This is going to be a ceremony that's very common in this day and age. They used it when they uh, had treaty ratifications. John Calvin wrote uh, that it happened in military alliances as well. It also happened between fathers before a marriage ceremony. The two fathers would get together before the wedding and they would cut the animals in half. They'd put one on one side, one on the other, and they'd let the blood come into the middle. And then they would take turns, stomping through the blood. And what they're saying is, if my son or my daughter doesn't fulfill their part of this marriage covenant as the husband or the wife, you can do this to me. You can stomp in my blood. You see this type of covenant in the Bible when God is speaking through Jeremiah. Jeremiah 34, 18 through 20 says, and the, man, and the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between my parts. We're going to jump around a little bit because verse 8 through 10 is when they're making the preparations for the covenant, right? We see them getting the animals and they're cutting them in half. And then in verse 11, the birds of prey come. I want to give you a warning. When you are walking with the Lord, there will be attacks. The enemy wants God's mission to not be accomplished. When you are walking with God, you can expect that it won't be easy. Jesus doesn't promise easy. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. You're going to come under attack. The enemy doesn't want the Lord's plans to prevail, so he's going to work to make it harder than expected. He's going to work to distract you from it. And then there's going to be times he attacks it directly. We have to drive them away. We could probably spend a whole sermon series on what that means. And then you see in verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Some translations say a horror of great darkness came upon him. Abram would have known about this ceremony. He would have known, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to say, if I don't keep my right relationship with the Lord, this is going to be me. I think that's part of the reason this horror comes over him. He knows the weight of what he's about to promise. It's here that we see our final point, that the Lord provides everything that we need. 
It's going to come from verse 17 mostly. So we've talked about the preparation and driving away the attacks. In verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So the ceremony is going on and you see a smoking fire pot go through between the two pieces in the bloodbath. We know that the Lord is personified as smoke multiple times throughout the Bible. We see it when the Lord was at Mount, at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. It was covered with a cloud of smoke. Each time God comes to the tabernacle or temple, it was filled with smoke. God led his people in the Exodus by a cloud of smoke by day. Isaiah says the Lord comes in dense clouds of smoke. The apostle Peter and the prophet Joel both speak of God coming with billows of smoke. And in Revelation, the temple is filled with smoke from the glory of God and his power. So God passes through the blood path as the smoking fire pot. But then when it ritually would have been Abram's turn, he doesn't pass through. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass through the pieces. Instead of Abram, a flaming torch goes through. We also see that fire represents God throughout the Bible. In that, in that exodus, it was the cloud of smoke by day and the pillar of fire at night. God is the burning bush when he speaks to Moses. The glory of God is like a consuming fire in Exodus 24. The prophet Isaiah wrote that God's tongue is fire. Jeremiah says that the word of God is like fire. And it is tongues of fire that represent God's spirit and acts. And Hebrews 12, 20, 29 declares that God is our consuming fire. So when, the, so when the Lord passes through the blood in Abram's place, he is saying, when, not if, right? Abram's going to screw up, just like we are going to screw up. When you mess up our relationship, I'm going to be like this. You get to stomp in my blood. I am going to shed the blood to make the covenant right. It's right there that Jesus' death is foreshadowed. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. He provides everything that we need. God's promise isn't based on us. It's based on his character. It's based on the one who makes the promise. He took on both roles, and it took his son's, de his son's death on the cross when we screwed it up. And this promise isn't just in Genesis. It's throughout the Bible, but we're going to flip over to Romans 4. I'm not going to dig super deep into it, but I encourage you to flip over there. Romans 4. We're going to be starting in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, 
who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The promise of righteousness righteousness by faith is not just for Abraham, not just for Abram in this story. It's for you and it's for me. And the Lord has provided the way and he does all the work. We have a very important role. I don't want to discount that. We must have faith in the Lord and in Jesus Christ. And he can't sit still in that. We talked about it earlier, right? Having a genuine faith means you're going to grow. It means you're going to learn more. It means you're going to understand more. It means you're going to apply more. And then you're going to seek more. It's a lifelong journey. But at the end of our lives here on earth, our righteousness is not our own. It was bought with a price. It was earned by faith, but not because of us, but because God took our punishment. Jesus on the cross bore our death that we were supposed to die. We should have been the ones there. We should have been the ones... We screwed it up. We should have been the ones walking the blood path saying, you get to do this to me. But just like he promised he would in Genesis 15, he did it. Christ died on the cross for our sins, for the things that we've done to break our relationship with the Lord. So when we get to heaven and they ask that question, why do you deserve to get into heaven? Amen. Don't just say it's because I believed in Jesus, his death and his resurrection. Those things are true, but that still puts the focus on us. No, instead you point to the blood. That's why I get lit in. I was bought at a price and that price is Jesus's righteousness and his death. Not because of mine. Do you see that difference? We do believe, but it was God through Jesus that did all of the work to secure the promise he makes in Genesis 15 and throughout the entire scriptures. He he provided everything we need. Now we need to repent and believe, and if you have not done that before today, I urge you to do it now. Don't wait. But God still provided all that we need for salvation. And we see it in Genesis 15. God's promises can be trusted. In Genesis 15, we see that the Lord is going to provide a substitute. And what was an idea, a hope, in that time, we see the other side of it. We see the reality that it is Christ that did it. We can look with certainty that God's greatest promise, he fulfilled it. Why would we doubt he can't do the rest? 
God wants us to know his word. He wants us to know his promises. And he wants us to take him and believe that it is true. He's shown it's true. Thousands of years ago, he promised this and it came true. He will fulfill his promises. We need to walk every day knowing his word, knowing the promises of God, and confidently expecting him to fulfill them. Our God is great through his promises.